Hello and welcome to another audio edition of Columbia Insight, bringing independent environmental journalism to the communities of the Columbia River Basin. My name is Dak Collins and I'll be your host as we dive into today's topic, neighbors. Now, you might think you know your neighbors pretty well. Their kids, their quirks, and their hobbies, the familiar sound of their riding mower, even the names of their pets. But how about some of your wilder neighbors? The eagles, coyotes, possums, songbirds, bobcats, squirrels, weasels, and bears that live among us. Do you know their habits? The places they call home? The sizes of their litters? We've spent so long managing wildlife populations, breeding them in captivity, and using them in whatever way we see fit, that we tend to think of these creatures as quote-unquote resources. When in reality, we share the same neighborhoods, all of us walking, crawling, or flying under the same sun. Now bear with me for a second. If you knew that by cutting down the oak tree in your backyard, it would crash into your neighbor's living room, would you cut it? And if you were afraid that your neighbor's toddler might get into the bucket of paint you left outside, would you put it away? What about if they fell off a ladder, broke their arm, and you were the only one around? Would you find a way to get them to the hospital? Of course you would. Right, neighbor? Now, what if they didn't have a broken arm, but a broken wing instead? Would you come to the rescue then? Fortunately for those of us who live here in the Columbia River Gorge, there's a place for these injured animals. A place where they can be mended, rehabilitated, and eventually released back into the neighborhood. Dr. Jean Seifer runs the Rowena Wildlife Clinic inside her home near Mosier, Oregon, roughly halfway between Hood River and the Dalles. And in the time since the clinic opened in the early 2000s, the veterinarian-turned-wildlife rehabber has cared for thousands of injured birds and small mammals. She says that each year, about 300 of them wind up at her front door in one way or another. Uh, I had done a little bit of wildlife rehab before uh, veterinary school and and then got into veterinary school and graduated uh, like in 92. It, even back at that time, people were talking about uh, conservation of wildlife and I realized I'm more of a one-on-one person than a, you know, than one-on-many person. So my interactions with wildlife would be better if I did them one-on-one. But I just didn't see very many people interacting with wildlife one-on-one. So that's kind of how I got into it. She explains that up until recently, the Rowena Wildlife Clinic has relied on volunteers and interns. But in the interest of keeping the clinic up and running well into the future, she decided to bring on two full-time staff members earlier this year. You know, we've gone through several different trials of what would work with having, you know, people volunteer. First, the community really wanted to volunteer quite a bit. We, we did that for a few years, but our problem is the same one that I think every business in the Gorge has. You're, you're very quiet in winter and very busy in summer, and everybody in the Gorge is busy in summer, and so it, it's just hard to get uh, hard to get consistent help when when we were at our most uh, crowded with, with patients. And I also went for a few years uh, having uh, veterinary students come in for two weeks to a month at a time. And that worked out really well, except, you know, veterinary students wind up moving on with their lives. And so I very rarely get one to come back, you know, the next year. So the last couple of years, we've decided that we just need to go with people who are settled here and, and really want to make this be a part of their life, even if it means 
sacrifices uh, of time. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm, I'm very happy that we've found some people that want to just stick with us and, and stay and kind of turn into staff. One of those people is Callie Lovett, a local wildlife photographer who happens to live nearby. I've been uh, working here for a few months now, uh, starting to learn the ropes of everything. Uh, I've known Jean for a while from bringing uh, different creatures to her um, over a couple years, and um, she's also a supporter of my wildlife photography, so I think she just kind of knew where my heart space is with wildlife and offered me a position here, and I totally jumped on it. I just feel like there's such a need to uh, not only care for injured wildlife in our area, but just to advocate for wildlife as well um, as their wild terrains keep disappearing more. And um, I just think there's a major need for it. Yeah, so let's talk a little more about the animals themselves. I, I think I read somewhere that the majority of um, the patients are, are birds. Um, is that correct? Yes, about 80%. Okay, and what about the other 20%? I mean, if we were to go inside the clinic today, what are some of the patients we'd see? Oh, let me turn that over to Kelly. Yeah. Um, yeah, right now we have um, a great horned owl. Um, a screech owl. We have a handful of red-tailed hawks in. Uh, we just got a possum in um, last night. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. We have some squirrels. We have some bats. Cool. Uh, Cooper's hawk. Um, songbirds. So... Um, mammals were quite limited by the Oregon Fish and Wildlife rules. They don't want us to take any of the larger predators. So bobcats are a little iffy. We can still take them, but not allowed to touch cougars. Uh, coyotes are actually not allowed to be cared for by dint of the Oregon Constitution, if that's a strange thing. Hmm. Uh, so from bobcat size on down... Our most common thing are probably squirrels, skunks, rabbits. Uh, yeah. Gotten one or two badgers and some minks that are really mean. Really? <laughs> or I should say we- weasels. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, a, a few porcupines and the occasional groundhog. Any really interesting stories behind these animals coming in? I'm kind of thinking about the possum last night, but I don't know. Uh, it somehow it, it it lost part of its tail and it had the skin pulled off quite a bit of its tail and is very emaciated. And gotcha. That, I, I, I bet you got its tail stuck somewhere. Okay. 
I gotcha. And I'm, you know, just thinking about the process when these animals come in and, um, you know, I'm assuming with, with y'all's role really being to rehab that most of these animals will be released sort of where they're found or how does that process work? Does it depend on the, depend on the critter? That's what we aim to do, release them where they're found. Things change a little bit if they're in captivity for a long time and you have to look for where where their group is. A lot, of, a lot of times I have trouble with swallows and the migratory species that we might get them in early in the summer and by the time they're ready to be released, the insect base and the majority of their conspecifics are, you know, miles away from wherever you picked them up. So there's a little bit of variation based on that. And, and then sometimes they just came from a dangerous area and we try to release them as close as possible but not you know, not next to a freeway or something. Okay. And that, that kind of gets into, you know, the next thing I'm sort of curious curious about is, um, I guess, thinking about whether these incidents, these uh, injured animals are related to encounters with humans. Is that what you found, that a lot of these animals that you're helping rehabilitate were injured because yeah. of some encounter with humans? And that's just the nature of us being a wildlife rehab place that communicates with humans in order to pick up animals. You know, it's not it's not as if we are located in a, in a wildlife refuge that only sees refuge managers. Gotcha. So we're just located in an area where the animals that are encountered are encountered by humans. That's always around your house or in the road. You know, not miles out in the national forest usually. So it's it's not a representative slice of what's going on with wildlife out there. On that subject, Jean says the clinic works directly with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife when dealing with some of the more complicated cases she comes across. We work primarily with our local district office in the Dalles. Lately, they're doing quite a few of of the pickups and they'll actually bring animals to us instead of just having people call us and and having us arrange to go pick them up. Um, And those are the people we report to about local cases that we're having trouble with. The people that kind of pull our strings and regulate us are are the upper division fish and wildlife people in, in the state offices in Salem and also the state veterinarian and it's actually the state veterinarian who's uh, kind of been tasked with reinterpreting the wildlife rules and deciding how to apply them to us. So it sounds like those have changed over the last 20 years maybe since you've been operating? It's changed quite a bit. When I first started the rehab rules uh, that wildlife rehabilitators had to adhere to were written uh, on one and a half sheets of paper, and now it's 14 sheets of paper. And uh, there was an initial attempt to rewrite the rules back in the early 2000s, and a lot of rehabbers and uh, wildlife um, division people got together and hashed out a rough draft. And that got put aside for many years. And then about five years ago, it was taken up again. And in the second round of rewrites, the rules have gotten a lot more stringent and uh, 
a little bit controversial. There's been a bit of tension, I would say, between the rehabbers and um, uh, the wildlife officials over the last couple of years. Yeah, what do those controversies kind of revolve around? The single largest one for us is that the original wildlife laws, the ones that were on that one-and-a-half-page paper, uh, they had they had most of the rules were just under the Oregon Wildlife Division, but there were two rules, uh, one of them that's more pertinent, under Oregon Department of Agriculture. And the Oregon Department of Agriculture ruling was that uh, wildlife rehabbers weren't allowed to rehabilitate any bird that had come from out of state, you know, even across the Hmm. Washington lines. Of course, that's difficult for us being right across the Columbia River. And at that time when we discussed it in the early 2000s, the Fish and Wildlife representative said, don't worry about that. You can just cover it with an MOU with your local district bio. They, They understand that birds are migratory and, you know, if you pick one up a few miles over the border, it was going to come your way anyway, and you can treat it. And slowly over the years, it's wavered a bit, but it's become more and more the accepted way to look at it, that if if a bird is injured, in our case in Washington, we can't help it. And and so I would say the worst case for me was a few months ago, there was a a bald eagle spotted um, kind of near Maryhill State Park, and it had probably been hit by a wind turbine, and, and it had cut off the end of its wing, and it was standing around in a, a field next to Highway 14, and it was called in. And um, um, we weren't allowed to get it, and the uh, Washington uh, officer, the there's, there's one... Uh, district biologist to cover Click Attack County. He's spread pretty thin because he also has to um, mediate things like domestic violence disputes. He's not just a wildlife officer. He went out to try to pick it up, and there was another eagle around that was actually looking like it was going to attack him, so he had to back off for a while. But even if he could get it, he was going to be forced to drive it either to Vancouver or possibly as far as Seattle to have it wow. taken care of. And it, so at that point, my district biologist said, look, Jean, we'll support you, whatever you have to do. And and so, you know, the next day I went out and, and caught the bird and, you know, euthanized it just lost the tip of its wing. But it was just kind of a sad case because I thought, well... Then we had another case of a fellow who saw uh, an... Uh, juvenile osprey on the side of Highway 14 near the Bridge of the Gods and call, he called us and uh, he, no, he didn't call us directly, he called Washington Fish and Wildlife and they called a ranger and we said, okay we, we can come meet him but they said, no, we've been told by the Oregon Fish and Wildlife that you can't take this bird and I, and I said, okay, is there anything wrong with it? He said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And at that time, I didn't know it was a juvenile. He said, we're just going to tell the ranger to put it you know, back in the woods a little further, get it away from traffic. And he said, I'll send you a picture, and, and you can see that it has no injuries. And he sent a picture, and it was clearly a juvenile. It had the orange eye irises and 
the funny little white scallops on its on its feathers and I said it looks like it's just come out of the nest it needs to be near its parents and um, later on the fellow who had originally spotted it got in touch with me and I asked about it and he said yeah it was definitely a juvenile and the parents were hovering above I just thought it needed to be further out of traffic so I called Washington Fish and Wildlife but the wildlife officer told me that he had told a ranger to put it back out in the woods and I said are their parents going to be able to find it? And he said, it's out of our hands. So I don't know if that fledgling was taken so far away that it was just going to starve to death, but it was just kind of a whole human error, you know? It's kind of a sad case there, too. Yeah, it is a sad case. But... Yeah, now I feel like I know better what to ask in any situation. I was kind of taken aback. That was my introduction to the, to the Oregon stipulation that we couldn't help out the birds. So since then, within the last month, um, Oregon has said that uh, we can help out Skamania County and Klickitat County for most birds. I think they're still not allowing us to touch waterfowl which or any wading birds, which is kind of a shame because that's quite a few of the birds that are out there. Hmm, interesting. Um, so this takes us back to something you brought up earlier, and that is the rules preventing wildlife rehabbers from helping coyotes and other large mammals. Uh, well, for coyotes in particular, it was written in the Oregon Constitution, completely outside of the fish and wildlife rulings, uh, that no coyote should be possessed or released. So huh. it means just leave them be. A coyote, fish and wildlife has to kill it. But that's not the rule in Washington. In the meantime, Oregon has started a campaign the last uh, two years especially, but going on for probably about six years now, wildlife integrity rules that they only want to help native wildlife. So coyotes kind of fly in the face of that one, and we all keep complaining, you know, why are you, you know? And then the other problem with coyotes is, is that, you know, people will... The two problems: people will injure them as a as a as a pest species, or 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 kills them. And the nature of coyote biology is to respond by increasing their litter size. If many of them are being you know killed off unnaturally, they'll just increase their litter size. They'll increase uh, the number of litters per year. It just there's not not really a good bio- biological basis for trying to exterminate coyotes. You know. And then as far as, as the, the cougars or bears, fish and wildlife deals with that. They don't let us, you know, respond to them at all. The cougars they kill, the bears sometimes they'll relocate. The cougars, oh man, they're, they're really taking the bunt of it right now. To begin with, they have a, a very low reproductive rate. The females don't start reproducing until they're about two years old. They will probably only have two cubs. They'll stay with those cubs for two years, but only usually only have one cub survive. They won't rebreed as long as they have a cub with them. And they only have a reproductive lifespan of maybe eight to ten years. So you can imagine, you know, what the population level would be just with that sort of turnover. And the last few years in both Oregon and Washington, we're just killing too many cougars willy-nilly for not really any in my opinion, not any good reason, and I probably should refer you to Predator Defense to take up the conversation from there, but 
you know, the situation in Click Attack County just seems really inhumane to me right now with, you know, Sheriff Songer deputizing people to go out and shoot, shoot cougars. Or the last the last time when there was the cougar that attacked a hiker on Mountain Hood and they went and, and killed cougars that weren't even the correct cougar. I mean, it just, or the cougar that was killed, you know, uh, on or was uh, the bobcat was, that was killed on school grounds. I just, I, I, I just wish people would stop and think a little bit longer and take a different perspective on things. Yeah, it seems like a lot of this stems from people just having a misunderstanding of the interplay between wildlife and our society, and you know um, what role these big predators play. Would you say a lot of it is just a lack of education, or some of these maybe older ideas that haven't quite faded away just yet? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head on both counts. Um, and, and I think that, that really, you know, going back to something that you've brought up before and that Callie mentioned at the beginning, um, you, you've mentioned, you know, that at the Rowena Wildlife Clinic, you're just dealing with a really thin margin of wildlife that lives close to humans. And there's probably, you know, 90% of wildlife that has all these other issues um, that y'all don't touch. So I know we've kind of brought up cougars and, um, and the bigger predators, but um, is that something that you know, you'd like to talk more about either you or Callie or kind of talk about just the just the bigger threats facing wildlife in this region? Oh, lead is still a big issue. Uh, I, I'm surprised that it's still a big issue after we've been discussing it for so many years. You know, it, it came up in the I mean, it's been known since probably the 20s and 30s because humans were getting poisoned by it and you know, humans have been poisoned by lead all through history, but uh, by the 70s and 80s and 90s, and when we were starting to get rid of the, the lead fishing weights because of, of the uh, detriment to, to waterfowl, I would have thought that, you know, we'd start to see lead decline and, and of course, getting rid of the leaded gasoline. But, you know, even in, in the 90s, uh, I, I, I think the people that, be credited are probably the the Raptor Center of the University of Minnesota, but I might not be totally accurate in you know, saying that, that they had quite a bit to do with it, but they were realizing that uh, the uh, shooting of mammals with lead was just as much an impact on, on eagles as as predation of, of poison, you know, waterfowl, which is what they had originally thought. And, and now, uh, aside from Eagles picking up lead in gut piles. They're also, as I mentioned before, picking up, you know, coyotes or ground squirrels or anything else that people were out, out shooting. Uh, and it just takes such a small amount of lead to, to kill a bird. You know, it's you're looking at maybe a 10 to 12 pound bird and the amount of lead they have to ingest to kill them is probably the size of a grain of rice. Well. And they can die right away, or if if they get just a very small amount, they'll put it in their bones, and it'll come out later after they've ingested a bit more. It'll accumulate over their lifetime, and they might start getting sick, you know, a year or two or three later. And if they're surviving a little bit of poisoning, they're um, they're weak, they're uncoordinated, they're 
just impaired in several different ways. So it might look like they've gotten hit by a car and and died because of a, a fracture and emaciation, but the underlying problem might have been lead. And right now we were testing eagles, but we don't really know how much that happens with all the other birds of prey. Uh, mammals aren't quite as susceptible to lead poisoning as birds are, but, you know, they're out there being poisoned as well. Yeah. Um, well, these threats you bring up, they seem so preventable. Your thoughts, Kelly? Yeah, off the top of my head, um, a few examples um, might be a thing I notice a lot is, um, you know, like fishing line being left at our uh, waterways and state parks, like even here, right here in the Gorge Mayor State Park is a popular place where eagles and osprey hunt and waterfowl are frequent there and um you know people will just willy-nilly leave their fishing line there and uh osprey particular um are really susceptible of getting caught up in that and uh if no one notices it you know they end up dying of starvation or whatnot um an example with just the squirrels we got in, um, the case was, you know, trees being chopped down on the property and just the mindset of thinking, um, you know, all these creatures are nesting during the springtime. Could you maybe chop down during the fall time when there's not a hazard of endangering any nesting animals during that time frame? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, just a little perspectives on thinking in a bigger picture of how your actions are affecting all the other life that lives around us. Um, I don't think it's, you know, just in humans' daily concepts to be thinking, how are my actions affecting all the other life that exists around me? So in closing, I think most of us would agree that we have a lot to learn about the critters that live in our neck of the woods. And at the end of the day, being compassionate and perhaps a little more considerate of those around us is all it really takes to be a better neighbor. If you come across an injured animal in the gorge, please contact the Rowena Wildlife Clinic by calling 541-478-2584. Gene recommends staying close if possible until help arrives and to only pick up wildlife if you can do so safely and without risking injury to yourself or the animal.